0: Welcome to Defenders, the teaching class of Dr. William Lane Craig. Today, an excursus on natural theology, part seven. For more resources from Dr. Craig, go to reasonablefaith.org.
1: We've now looked at the two premises of the argument from contingency for God's existence that are under dispute, and those were, as you recall, that uh, everything that exists has an explanation of its existence, uh, either in the necessity of its own nature or in some external cause. Or more simply, I said we could reformulate that as every c- contingent thing has an explanation of its existence. And then I offered a defense of the second premise that if the universe has an explanation of its existence, that explanation is God. And again, if you find that premise too jarring, Um, to suit your taste, That could be reformulated as well to a more uh, modest premise. You could reformulate that as um, if the universe has an explanation of its existence then that explanation is a transcendent personal being. Uh, You don't have to call it God if you don't want to, but this will be a metaphysically necessary transcendent personal being which has created the universe. Um, and then the defense that you would give of the premise would be similar. So um, I think we have good grounds for thinking that these two premises are true, and therefore, if the universe exists, it has its explanation or ground in such a metaphysically necessary transcendent being. Now, what can the atheist do at this point? Well, I think he does have one recourse left to him, though it is a radical one. He can retrace his steps, withdraw his objection to premise one, and instead admit that yes, the universe does have an explanation of its existence. But he might say that explanation is that the universe exists by a necessity of its own nature. The atheist can regard the universe as a kind of God substitute. It is the metaphysically necessary being. That explains why everything else exists. So, for the atheist, the universe could be a sort of surrogate for God as the metaphysically necessary being that grounds the existence of everything else. Now, this would be a very radical step for the atheist to take. And in fact, I cannot think of any contemporary atheist philosopher who says such a thing. Several years ago, I was participating in a conference on the philosophy of time at City College in Santa Barbara, and I thought that Professor Adolf Grünbaum, who was speaking at the conference and is a vociferous atheistic uh, philosopher, was flirting with this idea that the universe exists necessarily. But when I raised the question from the floor whether he thought that the universe exists uh, necessarily. He was very indignant at the suggestion, of course not, he said, Uh, and went on to say the typical line that the universe just exists inexplicably. It is contingent, but it just has no explanation for why it exists. Now, The reason that atheists haven't been eager to embrace this escape from the argument I think is fairly obvious. When you look about the universe, None of the things that make the universe up seem to exist necessarily. Whether we're talking about planets or intergalactic dust or radiation or stars or galaxies, none of these things seems to exist necessarily. They all seem to be contingent. They could all fail to exist. In fact, at one point in the past when the universe was very, very dense and very hot, none of them did exist. So, these things don't exist necessarily, and the universe is just the collection of all these things, so it would seem the universe doesn't exist necessarily. And so, atheists have not been eager to try to adopt this escape route from the argument. Now, somebody might say in response to this well, granted that all of the things in the universe are contingent. Nevertheless, what about the matter that they're made out of? Maybe the matter itself exists necessarily, and then it just takes these different contingent configurations so that all of these different configurations of matter, like stars and planets and galaxies, are contingent. But the matter itself, matter, is necessarily existent. Well, I think the problem with this suggestion is that according to the standard model of subatomic physics, matter is itself composed of tiny fundamental particles um, like quarks and electrons. And all of the things in the universe are made out of these tiny fundamental particles. Indeed, the universe just is the collection of all of these particles arranged in different ways. So let's focus on the quarks and talk about them. Couldn't a collection of different quarks have existed instead of the collection that actually does exist? Does each and every one of these quarks exist necessarily? Well, It seems crazy to think that each and every quark in the universe exists by a necessity of its own nature so that there couldn't have been fewer quarks or there couldn't have been more quarks or different quarks. This is the only collection of quarks that could possibly have existed. That seems crazy. Now, Notice what the atheist cannot say at this point. He cannot say, well, all of these quarks are just different configurations of matter And they could have been different, but the matter itself exists necessarily. He can't say this because quarks are not made up of anything else. They just are the fundamental units of matter. So that if the quark doesn't exist, the matter doesn't exist. Quarks aren't composed of anything else. They just are the fundamental units of matter. So without the quarks there wouldn't be any matter. But then it seems obvious that a different collection of quarks might have existed instead of the collection that actually does exist. Now, if that were the case, suppose a different collection of quarks were to have existed, I think then you would conclude a different universe might have existed. If a different collection of quarks could have existed, a different universe could have existed. Now, to see this point, I want to invite you to think about. The shoes that you have on right now. Think about the shoes you are wearing. Could those shoes have been made of steel instead of what they are made out of? Now, Certainly you could have had a pair of steel shoes that were the same shape and size as the shoes that you are wearing, but would they be the same shoes? Or wouldn't it be a different pair of shoes, a steel pair of shoes? Could the very shoes that you have on have been made of steel? Well, I think the answer is obviously not. They would be a different pair of shoes, not the very shoes that you have on. And the same would be true of the universe. A universe which is made up of different quarks would not be the same universe even if all of those quarks were arranged In exactly the same way, so that the same macroscopic objects existed, it would be a different universe because it's made up of a different collection of quarks. Now, somebody might object at this point, well, well, wait a minute, they might say, the matter in my body is completely recycled every several years. So that the, the the molecules or the particles that I have in my body today are not the ones that I had, say, when I was a little boy. And yet I'm the same person. I remain identical uh, even though all of the matter in my body is completely recirculated, and there's none of the particles in my body now that used to be there. So they might say analogously, a universe could be identical across different possible worlds even though it is made up of a wholly different collection of quarks. I think that these two situations are not analogous, though. and The crucial disanalogy is that the difference between um, possible worlds does not involve any kind of intrinsic change. There is no enduring subject which undergoes a change from one state to another, whereas in my body there is an enduring subject that goes through intrinsic change. So comparing different universes in different possible worlds would be more like comparing uh, human bodies which have no connection whatsoever with each other and are made up of different matter. In that case I think you would say it is not the same body. These These are different bodies because The one doesn't change into the other one as my boyhood body uh, changed into my adult body. In the case where there is no intrinsic change and there is completely different matter making up the object, you would have two objects. You would have two human bodies. Similarly, you would have two universes. Now, Is there any discussion on that point as to why it is plausible to think the universe is not metaphysically necessary. Yes, Drew.
0: I'm wondering about like Spinoza. Do you think he would have bit the bullet and said yes, it is? And yes. do you have any idea what response he might have? Yeah, to that's you?
1: that's why I said no contemporary right. atheist. Uh, Drew is pointing out uh, the 17th century uh, Dutch philosopher Baruch or Benedict de Spinoza did believe that the universe is. A sort of God substitute. He uh, coined the famous phrase, Deus sive natura, God or nature. So he took the universe to be God um, and to exist with metaphysical necessity. So you're right, there are or have been people like this, but I can't think of anybody on the contemporary scene that would defend Spinozism or this alternative. Now, where you would find it, I think, would perhaps be in pantheistic religions. Um, some form of Hinduism or Buddhism that regards – though there the, they usually think that the universe is illusory, not that it's necessary. But I, I could imagine a pantheist saying something like this. Um, but uh, you, you yeah. won't find this among your typical Western naturalistic – atheist and and the response I think would be exactly what I've given I think that that um, given the fact that the universe is made up of this collection of fundamental particles it would just seem utterly implausible to say each and every quark in the universe exists by a metaphysical necessity of its own nature that just to me is utterly implausible yes over here on the side uh, yes dr. Craig I uh... I was having an issue with what you were saying
0: at the beginning, as you're reintroducing um, the stuff from from, and and I'm sorry to bring it up again because I, I don't know if I if you guys Go have already moved past it, but the the personal part of what you're saying right. th- that the creator of the universe must be I, I guess I didn't get that in the in the
1: previous all right weeks. Amy had asked me about that after class the other day the argument there was we get to a being which is. Beyond space and time, beyond matter and energy, because it's the cause or explanation of the existence of the universe. So, this has to be an immaterial, spaceless, timeless, metaphysically necessary being. Now, if you ask yourself, what could possibly fill that description? Something that is spaceless, timeless, uh, immaterial, metaphysically necessary it seemed to me that there are only two things that I can think of that could possibly fit that description. Either an abstract object uh, like a number or other mathematical object, or else an unembodied mind or consciousness. An unembodied mind could be immaterial, timeless, spaceless, and metaphysically necessary. But Here's the rub. Abstract objects don't stand in causal relations. It's definitive of the what it is to be an abstract object is that it's causally a feat. It's causally impotent. It has no causal powers. So the cause of the universe cannot be an abstract object, and therefore by logic it follows that it must be an unembodied mind or consciousness. Okay, I guess the part. Or that I'm person. Okay, but how? What, what do you mean by person? You mean it has the traits of a person, or do you mean it? Actually by a has person, the I mean a mind. Okay. Uh, a, a self-conscious individual endowed with uh, intellect, self-consciousness, and, and will. There's actually another really nice argument for the personhood of this first cause that maybe I'll, I'll go ahead and share with you. Uh, that was suggested by one of my students at Talbot in in class. Um, He pointed out, how do you get from a necessarily existing cause to a contingent object like the universe? If the cause is an impersonal, sort of mechanically operating set of necessary and sufficient conditions, then if the cause is necessarily there and is sufficient for its effect, the effect should be there necessarily as well. So if you have a necessary being as your cause, you are going to have the effect existing necessarily, though dependent upon the cause. How do you get a contingent effect from a necessary cause? And I think the answer is if the cause is a personal agent endowed with freedom of the will who can freely choose to create a contingent effect So getting back to a personal agent and and appealing to agent causation will enable you to explain how you get a contingent effect like the universe from a necessarily existing cause. I think this is a great argument. I, I, I really like this argument for the personhood of the first cause. So That gives us two independent arguments for the personhood of the first cause, namely the argument from the properties that it must have as being uh, um, immaterial, spaceless, timeless, et cetera, and then the other argument from how do you get from a necessary cause to a contingent effect. So I think that there are good reasons to think that that second premise is true wholly apart from the fact that, as I say, it's virtually synonymous um, to what the atheist himself says. Uh, And Remember there we talked about how the atheist typically says that if atheism is true the universe has no explanation of its existence which is logically equivalent to saying that if the universe has an explanation of its existence then atheism is not true that is say god exists so i think that makes the second premise very plausible indeed yes we'll have a question from taiwan here dr craig i want to ask a an antagonistic view that is uh, if Matter and energy are interchangeable. Can we not think of this this necessity as a energy, which are converted back into matter, in that relationship? You know, Taiwan. I think that the perhaps what the non-theist could do here would be to say that these fundamental quarks or these fundamental particles. Are different configuration of underlying uh, quantum physical fields. And that 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 that's what underlies these particles that appear in different ways. And that would be an interesting, I think, response. Um, but then it would require you to say that these quantum fields exist necessarily. And again, that just doesn't seem to be true, that these things have. Metaphysical necessity. They seem to be contingent. And I'll, I'll reinforce that in just one more moment with my next point. Would you uh, classify energy as the timeless, uh, materialist? Oh, no, no, no. 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 That, that's clearly something that exists in space that's and in time. And as you say, can be converted into matter and matter back into energy. That's Einstein's famous equation uh, E equals mc squared. So energy and matter would be convertible quantities any other discussion of this point yes bruce has a point if
0: you had a consciousness uh, as necessary like they do in pantheism you wouldn't have any it doesn't reflect itself except in other deities and, and manifestations so uh, it doesn't show itself causally either so you would you you would reject a, a some kind of universal consciousness
1: right there I mean in Hinduism for example these gods are not ultimate reality uh, ultimate reality is impersonal uh, and propertyless can't be characterized so these gods like uh, Shiva and Vishnu and so forth are just in a sense illusory manifestations of this impersonal absolute they're not The ultimate reality. All right, what I've argued here is that it's implausible to think that the universe exists necessarily. Why? Because it's made up of stuff which is obviously contingent. Things like quarks and electrons. Now, the claim that I'm making here, I think, becomes all the more obvious when we reflect on the fact that it seems entirely possible that the fundamental building blocks of nature could have been substances quite different from quarks and electrons and so characterized by a whole different set of laws of nature. Um, Even if you say that the laws of nature are metaphysically necessary, that this is the only way that quarks and electrons could have behaved, nevertheless The laws of nature could still have been different because there could have been different substances than quarks that exist endowed with different dispositions and different properties so that you would have a whole different set of laws of nature. There is no reason to think that um, only quarks are possible and that there couldn't have been other kinds of particles instead of quarks. and that therefore uh, there could have been a quite different universe. And I think it would be um, utterly implausible to say that that would be the same universe. That would be like saying that a, p- a pane of glass, uh, a glass window, a pane of glass could retain its identity if it had been made of steel instead. That, that seems obviously absurd. That would not be the same window if it were made of steel instead of made of glass. So um, I think that we have quite good grounds for thinking that uh, in virtue of its composition or constitution that the universe doesn't exist metaphysically necessarily. Um, And that's probably why very few, if any, contemporary atheists appeal to this to try to escape from the argument. Any other comment on that defense? Yes, Cash?
0: Hi, Dr. Craig. Um, I have a question about past eternity and necessity, and Uh, that, you know, like Carl Sagan, in the opening sense of Cosmos, which is pretty famous, he essentially substituted the John 1-1. He said the Cosmos is all that ever was, all that ever is, and all that ever will be. And I'm just wondering, like, if an atheist says, if he makes the claim that the universe was that has a state of past eternity is that essentially claiming necessity for it. I don't Uh
1: I'm wondering about that relation. Yes, we've talked about that now a couple of times in the class, and I've tried to point out that merely making the universe past eternal doesn't make it necessary. And I think the easiest way to see that is to imagine that the universe is past eternal. Okay? Imagine that the universe never began to exist wouldn't it be logically possible for our universe to exist instead? Well, Of course it it would because we know this universe is logically possible. We exist in it. It is real. So if in an eternal universe it is logically possible that there could have been our universe instead, it follows that that eternal universe doesn't exist necessarily. It exists contingently. And there could have been a different universe instead. So Leibniz's argument is just wholly independent of whether the past of the universe is eternal or had a beginning. Now, Cash's point, though, does make a very nice segue to the next point that I wanted to make. And that is a second reason for thinking that the universe does not exist by a necessity of its own nature is the fact that it appears to have begun to exist. If something that exists necessarily then it must exist eternally um, because if it begins to exist that shows that its non-existence is, is possible. It came into being. Um, so that uh, an essential property of a necessarily existing being will be its eternality, uh, being without beginning or end. And we have now pretty strong evidence that the universe is not past eternal but had a beginning uh, which would show its contingency. Now, this uh, takes us into the next argument that we're going to talk about the Kalam cosmological argument, which is based upon the beginning of the universe. And as I've said, I want to try to keep the arguments as independent from one another as we can because then. Uh, If they are independent of each other you multiply the probabilities by accumulating these independent arguments uh, in favor of God's existence. So I think we've got good grounds for thinking the universe doesn't exist necessarily quite independent of its beginning. But nevertheless this does show how the arguments kind of dovetail into each other and reinforce one another because if the universe does have a beginning that reveals the contingency of the universe. Not only that, but it reveals that the universe is contingent in a very special way. Namely, it came into being out of nothing. On the existence of an eternal universe it would still exist contingently uh, even though it exists eternally. But for the universe to exist contingently and have a beginning Seems to be just doubly absurd because now it comes into existence without any explanation whatsoever out of nothing. So I can imagine giving the atheist a run for his money and saying, yes, if the universe is eternal, if it's always been there, uh, it doesn't have a cause. But once you say the universe had a beginning and came into being, then it just seems to me completely implausible to think that there is no explanation of the existence of the universe. so The Kalam cosmological argument powerfully reinforces the argument from contingency by showing or underlining the contingency of the universe in a very special way. Even if the universe is past eternal it is contingent. But if it had a beginning then that just makes its contingency all the more obvious And, and the The need for an explanation just cries out all the more. So, um, As I say, atheists have not been um, eager to affirm that the universe exists with any sort of metaphysical necessity. Instead, the typical response to this argument is to just uh, commit the taxicab fallacy. And say the principle of sufficient reason applies to everything in the universe, but don't apply it to the universe itself. Uh, The universe just exists without any explanation, which I think is arbitrary and ad hoc. All right, any final comments or discussion of this argument? Yes, over here. Remind me of your name again, too, please. I always forget. My name's David. David, okay. All right, so I talked to my brother
0: yesterday a little bit and just kind of generated some thoughts. Yeah. And I was just thinking through this whole thing and I remember the debate you had with Lawrence Krauss. And it kind of hits me saying that he's probably the best atheist that ever existed because he wants to prove that everything just came out of nothing. The reason why I wanna say that is because my brother was saying, this is my brother Paul, he was saying, what is the opposite of God? The thought wants to come in and say, you know, it's devil. But it's not the opposite of God, because God created him and he gives him the abilities and all that. So the way Christianity
1: looks at God is that God is everything. He's all powerful, so on and so forth. Now Christianity doesn't think God is everything, right? That's pantheism.
0: Well, God created everything. Right, He's That's a mag- very different. Maximal, okay. maximal being, right. yes. So the opposite of God, he was saying, is nothing, and that's why I believe kind of that. That's where atheist has to stand on that that things came out of nothing.
1: Well, you know, it's let me just say, David, that it's difficult to know what a person means when they talk about the opposite of a being. Um, I think your example of the devil shows that a person might be thinking opposite in terms of its moral qualities. In one sense, contingent beings are the opposite of God, because He exists necessarily and independently. We exist contingently and dependently. So, in one sense, that's the opposite of God. But in in the sense that God exists, I I can see why you could say the opposite of that is that. But atheists can't take
0: that approach, being Hmm? saying that contingency is the opposite of God. The atheist has to stick with nothing. That that is their whole beginning, I guess.
1: Okay, I I think maybe I'm understanding more what you're saying. When you say the opposite of God, you mean what is the alternative explanation to God, in a sense, right? I I think that's what you're saying. What's the alternative? And um, right, the the alternative seems to be to say that there is no explanation of. The existence of the universe. And in the case of someone who thinks the universe began to exist, like Krauss, that would mean the universe just came out of nothing, which is what he asserts. But I have to say, he doesn't really mean it. He knows that in physics, the vacuum state or these, these states that don't have classical space time in them are physical states. Are described by the laws of nature. So Krauss will say things like, nothing actually weighs something. Um, Everything is al- almost nothing. Uh, he makes all sorts of self-contradictory statements. He's using the word nothing there in a way that is scientifically um, misrepresentative of the physics. It's a kind of colloquial way of speaking that isn't accurate. Um, he's talking about states in which our general relativistic space time doesn't exist, but it is still a state of the universe. It will be a very early state of the universe um, in which these sorts of structures haven't yet emerged. Um, but it's not nothing in the sense of non being or not anything. And so it's really a gross misuse of language, and I frankly think a deliberate misrepresentation of the science. Any other comment on this argument? Yes, Cash. I guess this
0: is more of an end note, but for further study um, in, in looking up Leibniz's work, um, he wrote in German and French and Latin. Unfortunately, not English. He wrote on dozens, if not hundreds, of subjects. He wrote thousands and thousands of pages. And it doesn't seem like for this kind of discussion that there's a single uh, representative work that I could pinpoint to say, you know, it would be fun to go back and, and read what he actually wrote about it. Is there a, a certain edition or uh, yeah, what, what, yeah. what we really need is the, uh, the William Lane Craig <laughs> simplified Leibniz? Uh, oh, <laughs> there,
1: there already are uh, such books. I'm glad you asked the question. There's a very nice volume called Leibniz Selections, which includes all of these selected works that we've been talking about. Um, Leibniz Selection, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's edited by Philip uh, Wiener or Wiener. I think he's the editor, Philip Wiener, Leibniz Selections, and it will include all of these. Now you say, where am I going to get a copy of Leibniz Selections? <laughs> you go to the East Cobb Library and order it on interlibrary loan. This is an untapped treasure trove of stuff. I rarely buy books. I go to interlibrary loan and get all of the stuff here in the little East Cobb Library. So, For example, this past week I've been reading the three-volume systematic theology of François Turretin who was a Swiss 17th century reformed theologian called um, Pre- uh, Institutes of Electic Theology. and They got me that at the East Cobb Library on interlibrary loan. Uh, the week before they got me a book by L.W. Grenstedt called A Short History of the Atonement, which was published back in 1905 or something like that. They'll get you all of this stuff free. It's free. So there's just no excuse. Use your local library. This is an untapped resource that most people don't know about. So thank you, Cash, for that question because this is how you can get this stuff.
0: There's also I just looked on Amazon a copy for 41 cents with 3.99 shipping.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Was it Wiener who edited? Yes. Excellent. Our Published in 1951. Oh, let me just say, by way of conclusion, then for this argument, given the truth of the three premises, then the conclusion follows logically. God is the explanation of the existence of the universe. So This argument gives us a very rich concept of God, an uncaused, unembodied mind who transcends the physical universe and even space and time themselves and exists with a metaphysical necessity of its own nature. This is an exalted concept of God. Let's bow for a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, brethren. Amen.
0: The copyright for the content of this recording is held by Dr. William Lane Craig. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org.